Oh, what is up, everybody? It is a new episode of Crossed Up. I am Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo, and it is late Sunday night. You're probably listening to this on Monday morning after the Phillies lose two out of three to the Miami Marlins. Boy, stop me if you've heard that one before. Just a very underwhelming opening series for the fight and fills down at an empty Citizens Bank Park. And I have to tell you, Anthony, as we bring you in here to discuss what happened this weekend, the 2020 Phillies look a lot like the 2019 Phillies. And I think if I had one take to sum up the entire weekend, it would be that. Yeah, Bob, they do. And it's because the reason that they look like the 2019 Phillies is because the same problems that existed a year ago on the field exist still today, um, at least for the first three games. They can't drive runners home. They have no. They have no bullpen, um, and uh, guys get you know struggle for lengthy periods. I know we played three games. Say it's a lengthy period, but guess what? Three games is the equivalent of eight, eight and a half, right? In 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 the sixty game season. So you can't you can't really struggle for long in in uh, in a sixty game season. You have to you know get on the horse quick. And there's a couple guys that really uh, really struggled. And so yeah, they're one and two against the Florida Marlins. I feel like every time we do these shows, I always – I need to put out these qualifiers. It was only one series. It's only been three games. Good teams across baseball lost to bad teams across baseball this weekend. It's going to take some time, shortened summer camp, all of those qualifiers, and, and ultimately we'll boil down to excuses aside. There were some concerning things that we saw this weekend, and for me, number one – it's the thing that we've been talking about the most leading up to this season as, as the biggest problem with the construction of this team, and, and that is the bullpen. Whether it be Friday night when Ramon Rosso comes in in relief of Aaron Noll in the sixth inning and can't keep the game at 3-1, uncorks a couple wild pitches in a pretty important spot, game kind of gets away from the Phillies. Or this afternoon in which we saw – I believe four different relievers parade for six innings and give up seven runs against the Miami Marlins. And that, that was certainly a disheartening sequence to just watch guys like uh, Reggie McLean and Nick Pavetta. Oh God, Nick Pavetta. And, you know, Cole Irvin, who to me, like, is a great guy, super nice dude, but not a major league pitcher. And it just felt like the same old story. And so to see your worst fears – kind of be realized so quickly against what is, no matter what we want to say about the Marlins, they are an inferior opponent, one that was stricken with COVID-19 leading into today's game. I mean, the Phillies got pounded. So while you don't want to freak out and while you do realize it's only one series, well, oh, here come the New York Yankees who are the <laughs> probably the favorite to win the World Series in the minds of most baseball observers, and you've got to deal with them for the next four games now. So not a great spot to be in if you're the Phillies as uh, we go into this week. Yeah, because you, you mentioned the bullpen. Like, if they can't get out the Miami Marlins, <laughs> how are they getting out the Yankees? I mean, yeah, there were a couple guys who, bar- you know, didn't really get a chance to, to throw this week. I mean, you know, Tommy Hunter threw what? two-thirds of an inning, I think, and, and Naris threw two-thirds of an inning today, a meaningless inning. Um, so, you know, a couple guys on the back end that really didn't get an opportunity to throw a legitimate inning. But anybody who, who pitched any kind of extended time sucked. <laughs> Flat out sucked. Yeah, it was, was not a good – I mean, I, I'm trying to think 
what was a good relief effort this weekend? Hector Neris today closed out that 11-6 defeat for two I mean, You know, Austin Davis, I think, uh, came in and he got – He gave him an inning, right? Yeah. Austin Davis, yeah, locking it down. I mean, when you look at this, though, uh, today Joe Girardi was asked by Matt Gelb after the game, and, and Matt Gelb says, hey, listen, I know it seems kind of ridiculous to, to say this. It's only been three games. Like, he did the whole qualifier thing as well. But he says, like, what do you think about the bullpen? And here's Joe Girardi's response. Well – I think we'll probably have discussions after this call and we'll discuss it tomorrow and continue to try to get the most out of these guys and improve what we've done so far. And to me, that is a very polite non-answer that essentially means we don't have a ton out there. And if we don't get six or seven innings out of our starters and use some combination of Adam Morgan, Hector Naris, uh, possibly Alvarez, then we're in a lot of trouble. And when you get any of these other names involved, like, uh-oh, look out. And people, we can go back to Friday night. I think we should probably take a chronological look at the weekend, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on each individual game. But you go back to Friday night, and Aaron Nola hits a wall at 80 pitches. And I do want to talk a little bit about Aaron Nola in a minute. But since we're on the bullpen, let's let's stay there for right now. He goes to Ramon Rosso, who's making his major league debut. And it's a scenario where you go, wow, isn't this kind of like a critical spot, a a higher leverage situation? What a weird time to go to him. And to be honest with you, I think it is indicative of how Joe Girardi feels about the talent that he has at his disposal, quite frankly. I think it's very similar to what we saw with Gabe Kapler a year ago. You know, we would go nuts over how Gabe handled the bullpen, but the bottom line was, there weren't too many tasty treats on the menu. And I got to be honest with you, I think that Joe Girardi's menu this season may be even worse than Gabe's was the second half of last year when, you know, they had the fourth best bullpen ERA in baseball or whatever the hell that was all about. Yeah. I, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to see them go out and try, try and grab, uh, uh, you know, Mike Morin off the, off the waiver wire. He's out there now. Yeah. Yeah. He got cut. Bring him back. You know, where, but where, I mean, I, in all honesty, and you know, you know me, I'm a, I'm a guy who likes, I like Girardi. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest, you know, we talked, I texted you on Friday night, kind of jokingly, like he was trotting out the guys. It was almost like showing Matt Clentac, here's the, here's the crew. He didn't use Adam Morgan. He didn't use Jose Alvarez, barely used Tommy Hunter this weekend, barely used Hector Naris this weekend. I mean, they're probably your four best relievers. And didn't go to them at all. Um, Blake Parker? Yeah, well, you know, here's a situation where... And I, know, and I know Suarez still isn't with the team. So, I mean, really, I mean, if you really kind of put that six together, it's, okay, it's an okay bullpen, right? But they weren't used. They were using Reggie McLean and, and, and Trevor... Is that his name? Trevor Kelly? Oh, yeah. Trevor Kelly? And, and, and Nick Pavetta and, and Ramon Rosso. I mean, Why? Like, why are those guys the first option? Yeah, I think there was a little bit of sense with Tommy Hunter specifically that he's he's ready enough to be on the roster, but he they want to be very cautious with him. So that's how I would answer the, you know, the Hunter situation specifically. But I agree with you in general. They were some curious moves. And the one thing I I, I promise this is the only time I'm going to say this, but I couldn't help but think as I watched Joe Girardi this weekend, man. You know, we talk so much. Like, one of the narratives that we build up is as the people that host this show and, and one of the narratives that the players, I think, kind of, uh, you know, 
pumped up and the media sort of ran with it was this, this idea that, that Joe Girardi is just going to fix everything. And it kind of goes back to one of the shows that we had maybe about two or three months ago, right before, you know, the, the whole season was kind of in doubt. And my point was, man, there were a lot of excuses from these guys last year. And a lot of these things were explained away purely by bad coaching by Chris Young, uh, you know, by John Malley, by Gabe Kapler. And my point was, if you're Zach Eflin, it's time to show me. If you're Nick Pavetta, it's time to show me. If you're Scott Kingery and the whole thing was that you were bouncing around six different positions, well, now you're playing second base every day. You've got to show me. So to me, it's like put up or shut up time for a lot of these guys. And I think that, you know, again, three games, not overly concerned about any one individual player, but Moving forward, if this team continues to look the way it did in 2019, you can change your pitching coach, you can change your hitting coach, you can change the manager. But at some point, you have to look at the dynamics of the roster. And I'm just kind of wondering, after three games, just watching three games of this, maybe the problems with the players. Yeah. No, you, you could be – you're probably – A, I should say you could be right. You're probably right. Um, I will say – I will ask you this. You know, Brian Price has missed missed two the last two games um, for illness related thing. They won't say what, but we we assume it's COVID. Um, does does the fact that he's not there helping make these bullpen decisions mean anything to you, or do you say, yeah, not really? Maybe, but one of the things that we heard so much about was how Joe Girardi's strength, or one of his strengths, was his ability to manage a bullpen. I mean, I've heard multiple players talk about it. I've heard multiple analysts talk about it. There should be enough experience on that bench that not having Brian Price for two days, you know, it shouldn't cripple your ability to navigate the, the vaunted Miami Marlins lineup. You know, I mean, so yes, maybe not having Brian Price there is obviously detrimental, but at the end of the day, I can't use that as even a, you know, a little bit of an excuse for what we saw this weekend. And, you know, I, I look at this and one one more note, because I'm, I'm looking over my left shoulder here and I'm watching the series finale between the Dodgers and Giants. So we were treated to Gabe Kapler two times uh, to close out the night here uh, between Thursday and Sunday night. <laughs> little bedtime story for the people here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, I asked Joe Girardi today. They went two for 13 with runners in scoring position. And they left, I believe, 14 runners on base. They left the bases loaded three times. Uh, I believe the fifth, sixth, and eighth innings. Mm -hmm. They also put the first two men on in the ninth uh, and got nothing out of that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so th that being said, I asked him directly, hey, do you have any concern about your, your team's situational hitting? And do you have any concerns about them pressing? What are you seeing with these at-bats? I believe that Gene Segura twice ended an inning with the bases loaded, and JT Real Muto also did as well, or, or he came up with one out and had an infield pop-up. So just some really poor at-bats by guys that are supposed to be integral parts of your offense in big spots. And I said, Joe, you know, what, what do you see here situationally? And he says, I mean, it's way too early for that, Bob. 
I thought we had some pretty good at-bats today. We had some chances in the fourth, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, and we weren't able to come through. I didn't see guys swinging and missing. I saw some pop-ups that they got. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw those too. And that's probably being a little bit more patient and staying off the high pitch that looks great to everyone. No matter what type of hitter you are, it always looks great. I think our approach has been pretty disciplined, but that's the time we went up a little bit, chased up a little bit, and it's hard to be successful when you do that. If, if you closed your eyes and you, you know, just went back to, I don't know, let's say September 15th of last year, and I read that quote to you, would you, and I said, hey, did Gabe Kapler say this? What would you have said? No, I don't think he would because he would have used some much much more flourishing language. He would have. That's, that's, that's the only difference. But, but, but I see what you're saying. That's the only part difference. Part of it is it's, it's sort of a non-answer. At the heart of it, it's the same. At the he heart of it, it's the same. He wants accountability, right? And, and not to say that – listen, and, and this has always been my premise. Accountability does not need to come in the form of your manager, you know, publicly scolding you to the media, publicly criticizing you to the media, especially in the opening series. I'm not saying that that's what should happen here. I didn't expect it to happen. But really, if, if I had the ability to follow up, my question would have been, okay, yes, it is way too early when you look at it in a vacuum. But if you spent some time doing your homework about the 2019 team, you probably would have known or noted that this was a problem all of last year and it was a problem for much of 2018 so that being said do you have any concerns about it and and you know I understand where Joe Girardi's at here uh, I I get it but at the same time it, it's not the concern is not about what happened this weekend it's that it it's what happened this weekend is exactly what happened for 162 games last year and that's why it's so concerning yeah, well, I mean, we talked about this too, Bob. This is not, you know, I, I expressed concern with you that there's not enough on base in the lineup, right? I mean, I've said it several times. And, I, you know, I look at this lineup and, and say, you know, outside of the top of the order, which was not great, by the way, this weekend. I mean, yes, Harper had a home run. Yes, Hoskins walked seven times in the series. First time that's happened since 1948, I believe, that a player walked seven times in a three-game series. Um, but at the same time, like I didn't be once you get past real, real Muto and even real Muto is not the greatest on base guy. He's, he's adequate. But when you get towards the bottom, five, six, seven, eight, nine, this team has a lacks, lacks the ability to get me. Yeah. They got guys who can get big hits. Didi Gregorius has hit a couple home runs, right? Understood. Um, you know, Jay Bruce had a triple today. Great. All, all well and good. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, you look at those things and, Segura popped up with one out in the bases loaded. Real Muto popped out with one out in the base. You can't pop out in those spots. You can't. You got to do anything but – I mean, the only thing worse than that is a double play, right? At least if you strike out, like you're, tr you're trying to make a certain kind of contact and you just missed. Uh, but popping out is a, is a bad swing. You're swinging at a pitch that's probably up a little bit. And, and grounding into a double play would, would be a killer as well. But other than that, I mean, those guys got to make, make contact there. And even the guys with two outs, um, although they put better swings on the ball, I mean, Bruce hit one deep to right, um, just kind of got in on him a little bit. But, again, are we, do you feel the need to hit a grand slam there? Like, I, I, don't, I don't look at it and say, I need a home run. I need a hit. Just get a hit. Just get on base. Let's see if we can keep this moving, keep it rolling. I think that the Phillies' approach, the batter's approach, in those times when they have runners in scoring position is, is disappointing. And that, that's something that I was hoping to see something different. 
And maybe because we split up spring training and summer camp and it was so long in between because of COVID that maybe they fell into some old habits, Bob. But that's, that's something that's just as concerning. You think the bullpen's concerning. That's concerning to me too, that they can't find a way to, to take the right approach at the plate when you got runners in scoring position. Yeah, when you look at this lineup, I mean, I'll use the word deep. And it's, it's sort of a, a scary lineup. I mean, and we talked a little bit about this last week. One through nine, any single one of those guys is dangerous. Yep. You know, like it's a dangerous lineup from top to bottom. There aren't a lot of easy outs. And, and, and all of them can do damage. But you talked about the weakness of the on-base percentage once you get to five, six, seven, eight. You know, and that is a concern. It's, it's not a – it's not a complete lineup in that it's, it's not going to come in waves. It's, it's just like, it's like a random, it's like a random spark at any point, like seven and eight can be just as dangerous in certain games as, as one and two. And, and that's nice. That's good. That's good. It's better than what the Phillies have had in, in past seasons, but it's not a lineup. It's not a perfect lineup. You know, it's not a, Hey, we have a ton of table setters up top. We have big power in the middle. We, we have guys that have, a, you know, power on base percentage combo hitting sixth, seventh, and then it gets a little bit weaker at the bottom. It's just boom. They can pop you at any time, but they're also going to go through prolonged stretches where they give you performances like they did on Friday night and really performances like they did after the second inning of today's game, you know, where they, they can put some guys on base, but they just can't string it together consistently enough to finish and that to me is a, is a concern yeah I mean, and well and you you skipped i mean you skipped saturday because i mean yeah they won the game saturday but for the first five innings it was nip and tuck there too they couldn't get anything done yeah it wasn't was wasn't until gosselin hit the home run the first home run that you kind of like okay now then maybe they'll do something and they kind of opened it up from there but yeah the first five innings they they were just as just as anemic in those first five innings uh, saturday as they were in the other two games yeah, there was a point on Saturday where Andrew McCutcheon, I believe, flew out to left field and Reese Hoskins had followed with a walk. But following McCutcheon's flyout, the top four hitters of the Phillies lineup were combined one for 23 between Friday night and the first five innings of Saturday. And you're not going to win a lot of games like that. No. <laughs> you know, so it was interesting, though. Hoskins draws the walk. And, and I know you wanted to talk about this. I got to say, Bryce Harper, he, he didn't have a great game Friday night. was struggling a little bit, still kind of feeling for it. I, I kind of thought he was going to come out of the gate and hit three home runs this weekend. I did. But he comes up, and he lays the bunt down the third baseline. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like everything just kind of – there was a snowball effect after that. Mm -hmm. That's a real Muta comes up, and he pops the 300 – you know, the 410-foot – the home run to dead center field off the batter's eye or whatever that ended up being 430 foot home run. And, you know, that was obviously the big blow of the game, but it was just that one little thing, something that you wouldn't have expected him to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. It really shifted the entire momentum of that game. Um, what was your take on it? I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I wish that they would, I wish more guys would try it. I know, Look, bunning's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, bunning, you just got to turn around, square around, and get the ball down. But the difference in this instance, as opposed to normal bunting, is when they're shifting you like that, it's not like you have to lay down a beauty. Like, you just got to keep it fair. You, you, you can bunt it hard to third base. Just keep it fair, and you're going to get a hit, right? So, like, to me, the percentages increase if you're going to try and bunt in that situation. And I would, I'd like to see them do it more often, almost to the point, not to say you do it every time you come up, but I'd like to see them do it more often to make the defenses think 
do we want to allow this guy to just keep getting on base, you know, keep giving him a hit, a game or whatever? Or do we want to maybe play our third baseman there um, uh, for until there's two strikes and then move him over, you know, and, and really kind of, you know, play with the defense, get the defense moving and shifting around and not certain where they're supposed to be at any given time. Like to me, that's a, that's a, that's a good offensive strategy against a shift. More people should do it. I've been saying it for, for a long time. Well, and so I love the fact that Bryce Harper did it. I love it more so for the fact that they just couldn't get anything going. So the timing of it is what I love most about it. I wonder, though, in general, how often does Bryce Harper need to do that before a team really says, okay, you know what, we're going to, we're going to genuinely make an adjustment here. I mean, if he does it once every three weeks, is a team really going to start shifting the no. ring over? Probably not. So I don't know how often I want him doing that. But that being said, in that situation, and there are going to be other situations that present themselves, you know, I would, I would love for him to do that and, and, and show it on occasion, especially if he's going to lay down a beautiful bunt like the way that he did. I mean, it's one thing to show it. It's another thing to execute it the way that he did, which I found to be impressive. Now, you know, I, I guess let's look at the starting pitching because so much focus was on the offense and some of the situational struggles, obviously the bullpen, and, and that cr criticism is warranted. Um, but the rotation this weekend, it was very up and down, or I would say down and it was good, 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 bad, and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> no, Aaron Nola is, is somebody that I do want to talk about a little bit here. And I don't want to go like hot take on you. I don't want people to say like, is this guy for real with this? But you know, the season that Aaron Nola had in 2018 was so good. And I think you could make a, a legitimate, well-constructed argument that Aaron Nola was a top three pitcher in the National League after the 2018 season. And he was good for stretches in 2019, and he kind of stumbled at the end of, of last season. He comes out on Friday night, and he's, he's good early on. To me, though, I, I see a lot of what I saw at the end of last season, which is that he's still struggling to consistently locate his fastball. And though his secondary stuff and his off-speed stuff remains excellent, he's, he's sort of taking away some of the effectiveness of those pitches because he just still seems to be feeling for his fastball. And what that resulted in on Friday night is five-plus innings, five hits, four earned runs, only one walk, seven strikeouts. Like, there was a lot of good in that start. But there was also some stumbles, and it was the eighth straight game that the Phillies lost that was started by Aaron Nola. And I'm sure if you go back and look at Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Clayton Kershaw and some of the more elite names over the years, they've probably had stretches where their teams have lost five, six, seven games in a row. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm just saying this to be nice. Actually, I don't know if that's true. But it may be possible. So I don't want to get crazy over the fact that the Phillies aren't winning his starts over a, an eight game stretch, but something just feels off about Aaron Nola to me. Yeah. I don't think you're wrong, Bob. I mean, I, you know, I texted you after he had the bad inning and I, my impression, and again, I, I didn't look this up. So I, I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, you, you're, you, you're down there. I mean, you watch the games and you probably have access to pitch by pitch stuff that I didn't look up. But I was under the impression in that last inning that he was very curveball heavy. Like he, was, he had gotten away from the fastball. He, he had the, 
there was the walk, and I forget who it was that walked, but it was a there was a he threw a fastball that was a strike that was called ball four by Tim uh, home plate umpire Tim Timmons. Should have been a strike. Should have been a strikeout. He was so good. So yeah, Tim Timmons was not good. All right. So and then it, that sets up the the that's that basically leads to the um you know the snowball effect where the inning went bad. But from that, that was the last fastball that I saw him throw. From there, it was all curveball, changeup, and mostly curveball. And I think that the teams kind of realized that he didn't feel comfortable throwing that fastball. And if he threw one, they, they basically just spit on it because he wasn't locating it. And then it's like, oh, I'm just going to sit here on the, on the, on the curveball, sit here on the changeup, you know, wait for the soft stuff, and, and drive it. And that's what happened. So I don't know. And I remember last year – God, I would have to. I would have to go through and listen to every episode to find when it was. But I think we had this same conversation. Like there was a time last season where he got away from his fastball. He didn't feel comfortable throwing it, and teams were just cherry picking the soft stuff. You know, he's got to as good as as his curveball is, and as good as his changeup is. He's got to be able to command the fastball to make those other pitches work. Those pitches don't work without the fastball setting him up. And I, and I think that that's what he ran into in the fifth inning, or sixth inning, rather, uh, on Friday night. And I think that that's part of, the, part of what his problem is and has been for the last, you know, the end of last season and the start this season now. Yeah, and so my takeaway from this isn't that Aaron Ola sucks, not that he's a number three starter, really, and that we're overrating him and, and all of those things. But I do think, to be perfectly fair, there, there needs to be a little bit of concern here. You know, and if he comes back out in his next start against the Yankees, I guess he will start, if I'm not mistaken, Wednesday at, at Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, maybe he comes out and throws seven innings in his deals and we all feel a lot better about it. But I do think this is at least something that we need to keep our eye on now because you have to say it's a pattern. You know, it's not, it wasn't an isolated start. It goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show. If we were looking at it as just one single start, no big deal, but considering the way that he finished a season ago, which not every start was bad. I mean, some of those losses were him giving them six innings, you know, two runs, and the Phillies just simply not scoring for him. I mean, that, that is certainly part of it, but there were also some clunkers mixed in there and starts that really resembled what we saw on Friday night where he was good for a while and then lost it pretty quickly. And I do think it all comes back to that fastball. Now, on Saturday – you get the debut of new dad and new Philly, Zach Wheeler. And uh, I was impressed with Zach Wheeler's effort and, you know, the things that jump out at you, considering the velocity, and this is always the one thing that's been kind of perplexing about Zach Wheeler, for as hard as he throws, he doesn't miss a ton of bats. But when he's on and that two-seamer has a little bit of run on it, boy, he, can he generate some ground balls. And we saw that on Saturday, four ground ball double plays really helped him kind of get deeper into that game. He was humping 95, 96 miles an hour in the seventh inning. He seemed like he was just as strong at the end as he was in, in you know, innings two and three. I was very impressed and very encouraged from what we saw from Zach Wheeler in his first start as a Philly. Yeah. I mean, we got the good, we got the good Zach Wheeler Saturday. I mean, there's no doubt that he has the ability to do that on a, you know, in a game. My biggest concern with Zach Wheeler as a pitcher in his entire career, not just as, you know, now that he's a Philly, obviously you're more concerned about it now. But the thing with Zach Wheeler over the course of his career is 
he doesn't have these games consistently one game to the next. Um, and, you know, there, there are games you sit there and like, man, no, nobody should be touching that 97, 98, especially in the first thing. Like just coming out of the gate, throwing that hard, kind of should overwhelm some batters, right? And that's, and that's exactly what he did on Saturday. Um, but there's also times when it's like, you know, he'll, he'll give you that Aaron Nola start, that, you know, five and two-thirds, three runs, you know, whatever. You're like, man, why didn't he – he should be better than that. But look, you can't complain. As what he did Saturday was great. It was awesome. Um, it was a very good start. It probably would have been the player of the game had not the heroics of Phil Goslin happened um, in that game. Uh, so the Phillies got to hope that you know he gives them that same outing again um, on Thursday. It's a, again whole different kind of lineup. You know that that Yankees team. You know, you're you're not just throwing fastballs by Aaron Judge and and Giancarlo Stanton and and those guys. Like you're going to have to be a little bit more creative than that. So we'll we'll see. But definitely, good first step. Got to be happy with his performance. Uh, really, really well done by Zach Wheeler. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm a little bit encouraged, especially the way that he finished the second half of last season. He was so good. It looked like he was finally putting everything together. He made 12 starts, two eight three ERA just became a more efficient pitcher, you know, and, and so again, there, there's something to build on there. Like I love the idea of bridging success from one season to the next. Uh, and in turn, that's why I get a little bit more concerned when there's a lack of success at the end of one season and then it rolls over into the next season. Um, okay. So there are a couple people that I want to talk about specifically here, and I'm going to say Vince Velasquez. There were people that were actually tweeting at me today and they're like, I hope you guys record just so that I can hear you go crazy on Vince Velasquez. So what I'm, I'm trying to do is delay that because I want to, I want to build the suspense of the Velasquez take, but before we get there, two guys that I think we have to talk about or number one, Phil Goslin. Uh, let, let's just start with the positive here and Phil Goslin and the game that he had on Saturday. Uh, he entered Sunday's game. He didn't start, but got a few at bats again on Sunday as well. It's a cool story. At one point, uh, you know, I think Scott Fransky actually had, had said on the broadcast on Saturday that if you go back to summer camp and you include the exhibition games and what he had done on Saturday, he was 12 for his last 13 at one point. Joe Girardi made a joke and said, I, I think that I think that Phil Goslin's been 24 for his last 12. And like everyone got a chuckle out of that. He has been unbelievably good. I'm not telling you that Phil Goslin is an everyday player. Uh, you know, he, th there's a reason that he's bounced around 12 different minor league teams. There's a reason that he's been part of four or five different major league organizations. But that being said, he earned that spot and he, he needed that surge to earn that spot. And he's been red hot and he's given them some really good at bats here uh, in a couple games this weekend. My question to you is, not so much like, isn't this Phil Goslin story fun? Like, because of course it's fun, but what, at what point do you kind of put a little bit more stock into what he's doing and say like, we've actually got to find ways to keep him in the lineup more consistently than we maybe would have coming into the season. Well, I mean, at least the beginning of the season, because, because he is such, you know, he is hitting consistently right now, Bobby, even today he came into the game and had four bats um, and got on base twice. He got a, a hit and a walk. Um, and even, uh, I mean, he did strike out once, but even the, the first out, he hit the ball really hard and shortstop made a nice play, uh, fielder's choice at second base. Um, 
I, I think you're going to see him play against lefties. I think he's going to be in the lineup in some capacity against left-handed pitchers. He, even last year in the 50-whatever at-bats or 60 at-bats that he had for the Phillies, he really hit well against lefties. Couldn't touch righties. He struggled against righties last year, but he hit the lefty. So even – and I think if you go back and look at his career, oh, he has always been better against left-handed pitching. So Yankees got three lefties coming in, the, in these four games. I think Phil Gosselin is going to be in the lineup. Uh, in some way, shape, or form. I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Kingery gets a game off and Goslin maybe plays second uh, a game, um, but he'll probably DH the other two um, unless he wants to rest somebody in the outfield or give Segura a game or give uh, – he's not going to give Didi a game off, I don't think, against the Yankees. But uh, if he wants to give Segura a game off, I don't know. Maybe he plays in the infield there. Um, but, yeah, he's gonna, you're going to get him in. What I think is the most what, – what I, what I want to say here, Bob, and and good for Phil. I mean, you know, I know the family, and and you know, and I'm I'm proud of him, and it's great. Uh, and I hope he continues with the success. I actually called his brother Matt um, after the second home run, and he couldn't hear his his voice was just he was he had no voice. The, the whole family was together cheering and carrying on. It was great. It's awesome. Um, but uh, what the the thing of it is is that what bothers me is we knew that the Phillies had to improve their bench, right? And they went out and made some moves, and we and we we agree that the bench is is deeper this year than it was last year. We're no longer trotting out the Mitch Waldings of the world, right? So they they got they got better players coming off the bench now. But what does it tell you that the guy that they're relying on the most in the early season coming off the bench is the twenty sixth guy on their roster a year ago? I mean, he didn't make the team coming out of spring training, was sent to AAA, and was recalled up. Um, you know, that guy is the guy – they didn't really go out – I mean, look I, look, I think Neil Walker will be fine. But I was a little – again, you want to talk about another surprise that Girardi surprised me? Pinch hitting for Neil Walker in the fourth inning. Switch hitter. Yeah. You know, it's not like the Marlins are trotting out like the, some tough some tough lefty there. Like, I mean yeah, – I was, I was surprised <laughs> by that too. I actually kind of – to be perfectly honest with you, I know Scott Kingery kind of didn't have a very impressive first two games. Maybe there was a, a little bit of a, hey – this is a matchup we like today. Like let's, let's let yeah. you play this third straight game, but considering that he came to camp late and they said that they were going to be a little bit cautious with him. I was surprised to see Scott Kingery in the lineup again today. And I thought that that would have been the natural spot to get Goslin to start at second base. Let Kingery kind of get a breather before you go into this series where you would think you need to put your best lineup on the field going against this juggernaut Yankees team. So I was a little bit surprised to see that. And as it turns out, Scott Kingery uh, did not have himself a baseball game today. So, I, Well, I, 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 you want, you want the, th- the game that I think Scott Kingery is going to sit? I think he's going to sit against Garrett Cole. I think you'll see Neil Walker as a, as a lefty bat against Cole at second base, try and get as many lefties into the lineup as possible against him um so that's probably the game you're going to see kingery sit and that's that'll be tuesday's game here um so that maybe cole, that was that cole on, on tuesday cole, he pitched cole? he pitched opening day thursday so yeah he pitches he pitches tuesday for them um against zach eflin so i bet you the yankees are like minus 190 you know they're minus 150 uh going into Monday night's game, it's there, you know, with Arietta Hap. And, and I actually think that that's there's some value on the Phillies. In yeah, there might be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll see. So, anyway, uh, be, one other, actually, two other guys I want to briefly touch on uh, guys at the top of the order Andrew McCutcheon, I thought 
had an interesting summer camp. You know, he had talked about how this extra time with the coronavirus shutdown gave him the ability to sort of get his legs back, not rush back uh, before it was too soon. He felt fully healthy. He was confident. You know, there were times in the camp where I felt like he looked really good, both at the plate, taking some pretty strong, comfortable swings in the box. Um, and not just, I'm not just talking BP, I'm talking against live pitching. And he was moving around okay in the outfield. And then there were times where I would see him kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say pull up lame or show a limp or, or anything like that. I, I think that would be kind of exaggerating it. But there was just like this little hitch. There's a hitch in the giddy up. Yes, there is. And it's funny, Marcus Hayes, I guess it was two weeks ago, uh, was down there. And he had tweeted out uh, something about McCutcheon kind of finishing out uh, uh, after a sprint, coming up a little bit, a little bit gimpy. Uh, and I forget exactly how he worded it, but McCutcheon later after the, the practice or the intra-squad game ended said, no, no, like he retweeted it, said, like, don't be starting anything. That was just my swag level on 100. And, like, that – it was funny. and You know, he's great on social media, and everybody loves Andrew McCutcheon. It was a funny moment, you know. And I didn't think Marcus Hayes was trying to, like, really start shit in that situation. I think it was a genuine observation. And it was, like, something in my own mind. I'm like, am I seeing this or am I not? Like, I don't know. Because it doesn't look like he's uncomfortable, but he doesn't look – he does not look 100% to me, I nope. guess, would no. be what I would say. And, I, and maybe he would dispute that. That being said, he got off to a pretty rough start this weekend. I believe he was a combined 0 for 9 in the first two games of the series, and he did not play in today's game. Uh, I assume that that was just a rest day again, trying not to do too much too soon. But, I mean, do you have – I'll ask it to you two different ways. Number one, do you actually have any concerns about Andrew McCutcheon? Or do you think it's just going to be a situation where, you know, he gets some at-bats, he gets his feet underneath of him, he'll be okay. He did make a really nice play in left field uh, in Saturday's game. Um, it was a really nice play. You could see it in the press box. The ball was tailing away from him pretty quickly. He got there, got to the spot, slid, made the grab. Do you have concerns about him? And if, if you don't, is there a point where you say, like, okay – we can play this guy and he can take the, the bulk of starts in left field, but he can't be our leadoff hitter. And, and that's where I'm starting to wonder, like, is Andrew McCutcheon destined to be this team's leadoff hitter long-term, especially considering what we saw out of a guy like Adam Hazley today who, who had four hits. And again, I know Roman Quinn did not have a great weekend, but he, he's still he's going to play a lot. I mean, you don't give up on a kid after two games if you like him that right. much. No, I, I, that's a great question, Bob. But I, I, I think basically, I mean, you know, that two games is not going to be the be-all, end-all for Andrew McCutcheon. Um, I don't worry about him at the plate. I think that he'll course correct there. I think he'll, fi you know, he'll figure it out. He's a veteran player. He's, he, you know, he's done this, but he's a former MVP. I mean, the guy knows how to hit. And he's a, you know, he knows what he's doing up there. I I concerned about him running. Like I just don't like the way he runs. I'm looking at him run, and I'm like, there's just it's not right. It's it's off. There's something not right in the way he's running. Um, as far as staying leadoff, I'm okay with him staying there for a little bit. I mean, he he's going to take his pitches. He's going to draw his walks. He didn't do that in the first two games, but we know that we know that he will. We know he'll walk. Um, and and you know if, if he's hitting 250, 260, and he's you know getting on base 375. That's fine for the leadoff. But I will say this. When you see what Hazley did today, not to say that, you know, Hazley's going to get four hits a game, but when you see him, you know, 
come out and just and just rake. Maybe McCutcheon is is a guy who will DH a little bit more, and that's okay too. Right. That's okay too. If if that's the case, I you know, could, I could definitely see that being a possibility. Yeah, and and maybe you don't lead him off. Maybe he bats somewhere else in your lineup, but and and if Hazley's in the lineup because Hazley, you know, they obviously like him at the top of the order. They wouldn't have let him off today, otherwise. Um, yeah, you know, maybe maybe that's something that McCutcheon fits slots in somewhere else. Maybe in like a six spot, for example, um, and and gives you just as much production towards that bottom line. Gives you a little bit of on base later in the lineup, where we didn't, where I don't see it right now. Well, speaking of on base, the last guy I want to talk to before or talk about before we get to Vince Velasquez uh, is Reese Hoskins. And I know that we talked at length last week about Reese Hoskins. We went through some of the mechanical things. Where is he at in terms of his own confidence? And I thought he had an interesting weekend. I still don't see a comfortable hitter at the plate. I, I don't see a guy that trusts his hands. Uh, I still see a guy that is off his front foot a lot. Uh, I don't really think that that was rectified this weekend. However, I will tell you, the fact that he was on base nine times and worked seven walks is really encouraging, but there is a caveat in that. And uh, let me just say this. He shows you his value because even when he's uncomfortable at the plate, he still has an ability to get on base, and it's, it's an extremely valuable tool. And so I love the fact that he wasn't pressing to the point where he was just throwing away at bats and getting himself out and trying to do too much. So from the mental aspect of it, that to me is a huge positive. That being said, there was an at-bat specifically on Saturday afternoon, and he was ahead in the count, I believe, three and one, and he got a cookie fastball, uh, you know, to borrow a phrase from Chris Wheeler, middle in, and he just missed it. And he ends up working a walk later in the at-bat, but it's still – I know he's in the two-hole. I know that he's theoretically a table setter in this situation, but Joe Girardi said it. When you have a DH in play – You have an AL lineup, and there are plenty of RBI opportunities for two hitters in AL lineups. And to me, this is a situation where I want to see him make contact, drive the ball, do damage when he takes a a hellacious hack on 3-1. I don't always want to see him work walks. And I I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about a guy that, that got on base nine different times this weekend, but at the same time, he's really got to find it for this offense to be what we think it can be. Reese Hoskins has got to, he's got to be a force in that spot. And I'm still not absolutely positive that we're going to see that though. Certainly I was encouraged by some of the things that I saw. I was encouraged by some of his swings on outs more so than the, than the times he got on base. I'll be honest. Like I, like, both hits were were fluky in my mind. I mean, the one was ridiculous. It was that little blooper over <laughs> over the first baseman's head. Blooper, yeah, yeah, right. That was ridiculous. And even the double, like he lunged way out in front of the plate to get a piece of that, and he just you know used his raw power to kind of drive it to the wall. But um, I mean, it wasn't a good swing. Nah. Like I, I I thought there were a couple of, of flyouts. So he had a deep flyout to right field, which I thought was a good swing because it went he, he went he hit the pitch where it was pitched and took it the other way, which was nice. He had a flyout to left that was okay. It was a little bit under, but it was wasn't a bad swing. And the last out of the game today, he hit the ball pretty hard to third, and third base you know, makes a nice catch. So like there were a few swings in there that I said, 
okay, those are good swings. You didn't make, you didn't get on base with them, but at least they were good swings. But like you said, even in the seven walks, there were some bad swings in there. There were some pitches you're like, dude, you've got, they left you balls right over the plate and you're fouling them off or missing them completely. You've got to get those. You've got to connect on those. So to me, yeah, we're not complaining. You know, you get on base nine times in in three games. You can't really complain about it. But, yeah, you're not going to – I guarantee you this, the Yankees are not going to walk him seven times in, in four games. No, I doubt it. Uh, I <laughs> right? think it illustrates how bad the, the Miami pitching staff was uh, besides Alcantara. Who, by the way, I know we talked about this in the last episode, Tom McCarthy's still going Alcantara. Everyone else is going Alcantara. So, I don't know, man. Like, I just – I have no clue. Yeah. Usually T-Mac's pretty good with the pronunciations and stuff, but uh, I, whatever. But he was nasty on Friday night. He I was, will say good. that. Uh, but the rest of that Marlin staff, my God, uh, it, was, it was pretty rough watching that. Um, you know, one other thing, and again, I'm just going to keep kicking the can with Vince Velasquez. We probably should mention this. Today's game was kind of a strange start. You know, I got to the ballpark at about 11 o'clock, and guys were going through BP, stretching, running on the field. And uh, I guess it was probably a little after 12 o'clock. Things sort of just shut down, and everybody went in, uh, which isn't completely atypical, but it got quiet pretty quickly. And then it soon came out that – uh, Jose Urania, today's scheduled starter for the Marlins, was scratched. And then shortly thereafter, speculation began that he had tested positive for COVID-19, which, if I am not mistaken, that is now been or has been confirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe also uh, Garrett Cooper uh, and Harold, Harold Ramirez. Ramirez. Yeah, so yeah. we're talking about three guys that tested positive for COVID and were unavailable for the Marlins today. And I don't you know, one thing I obviously I, you read a lot if you were on Twitter it was like the Phillies lost to a team that were down three primary players to, to COVID and they still couldn't win. Like that was not my takeaway of of this. That's not really what was important. Um, what what is important really is that this has been one of the first hiccups that we've seen uh, in terms of of guys testing positive since this whole startup has happened, we saw the Braves lost two catchers on Friday before they went to New York. Uh, you know, that was obviously a situation. Juan Soto out for the Nationals. We see three players who had played in this series, well, two players who had played in the series, and then a scheduled starter come up with it today. It was sort of like a reminder that this is going to be a problem. It is just a matter of time before somebody on each team tests positive, no matter how diligent they are in taking precautions. So I was encouraged by the fact that the Marlins then took the field and the Phillies took the field and they played the game because I, there was about a five minute span where I thought to myself, this one might not be happening today. Uh, you know, so what was your thought on that? No, I, I think the same thing, Bob. I mean, but you know, my whole take with COVID has been since the beginning that look, people are going to get it. People are going to get sick. Um, professional athletes are unlikely to die from this. <laughs> they're not going to, they're not going to, they're unlikely to get very, very sick from this to the point where they're going to be hospitalized or on, ven- on a ventilator or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's going to suck. It's, it's kind of be like, you know, Hey, you get sick and you're, you're pretty much down for two weeks, right? I mean, you got to quarantine and then you got to come back and, you know, you haven't swung a bat in two weeks and stuff like that. So, um, so there's still things you have to do there. So it really probably ends up becoming more like a three week 
uh, you know, timeout as opposed to just two, which, you know, it's, it's not too diff- dissimilar than somebody being going on the, on the uh, injured list. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of freaky how it, you know, it could, it could get a bunch of guys at once. I think that's the thing that you got to be, right. you know, you kind of re- – the reality. That's where you're snapped into the reality that, you know, yeah, you get a player gets hurt from here and there. And, boy, were there a lot of injuries in baseball today all around the league. If you look around, holy cow, the guys get hurt left, right, and center. I mean, pitchers everywhere were, were going down. Um, so, yeah, injuries happen. And it's usually to one guy, and then you're like, oh, well, that sucks. So we got to, you know, somebody's got to step up in his place. It's never usually to three guys at once, right? So I, that's the thing that, that stood out to me is that this thing can really get multiple people at one time as opposed to just one guy going out for a short period. Yeah, and, and to not to turn this into the, the COVID hour here, but it, it really does amaze me. It's the one thing I still can't quite wrap my mind around is even when you look at the sample size of pro athletes, so many guys are asymptomatic, uh, wouldn't even know, probably are stunned when they, when they get their diagnosis. But then you get a guy like Freddie Freeman who said, I was running 104 degree plus temperature and I was, I was praying, you know, because I was so worried about my life. And you hear that and you go, Jesus, you know, that kind of, that grounds you a little bit. And then even Scott Kingery, a young guy in very good shape, he said, you know, it kind of knocked him off his ass for, for a few days. And, and, you know, like you said, in this particular sample, the likelihood of guys dying, uh, could it happen? Like, yes. And, and that is the, the scary, scary part of this. But the likelihood of it is, is that they, they won't get that sick. But, you know, you, you hear certain guys and they end up pretty ill. And it's just, it's just so hard to understand in general how this thing affects certain people so severely. And then for other people, they wouldn't even know they had it. And, and to me, it's been the one thing that's been – I don't want to say fascinating about this, but just really perplexing. Yeah. I mean, and that's, it is what it is, Bob. I mean, that's, you know, it could be, it could be the great equalizer. It could bring us a Orioles Marlins world series because like who the hell knows what, what's going to happen. Right. I mean, it is what it is, but I mean, we'll survive it. I mean, we'll all survive it. It'll, it'll be okay. The sports is going to go, are going to go on We're we're going to have sports. Yeah, I mean, I will say, and, and again, like, I don't want to sound insensitive, but I was encouraged by the fact that they, they played today, you know, because I did. I had that pause where I said, okay, there's nobody on the field. We're about 30 minutes out from the game here. You saw the reports coming out on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you saw John Heyman confirm it, and it was just like, oh, man, here we go. And well, this is the, well, this is the thing. Here's, let me put it to you this way. Here's, I mean, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me put it to you this way. The same thing happened on March 12th. Which shut down sports, right? Because at the time, we didn't know anything. At the time, you know, one guy got, we found out one player in the National Basketball Association had COVID 19 and the world shut down. Like every league shut down. We can't play sports. We got to stay in our homes for months upon months on end. That's what it, that's what it was. Now, here we are four and a half months later and people are getting COVID and they're like, yeah, yeah, keep playing. Yeah. Well, I think we got a better handle on it and and it's only going to get that way. It's only going to keep getting better going forward. So, like, I don't think unless there is this massive um, infection in a sport, and I think that the team like the NBA and NHL might have an opportunity, might see this more likely than baseball because baseball, they're traveling, but they're only, it's still only two teams in one spot at any given time. And in, in the NBA and the NHL, you have multiple teams in a bubble, right? So unless, unless the bubbles 
implode with you know with a, an infection rate that's ridiculous um sports are gonna go on and, and we're gonna keep playing and if guys miss a couple weeks they miss a couple weeks so be it until this is until we have a vaccine that's what's going to be what that's what it's going to be i think you said it, it's more of the knowledge now and certainly three four months ago we were in a much worse spot with this nationwide worldwide uh than we are now but I think that now there's a little bit better of an understanding of what we're dealing with here, though we don't fully have a grasp on it, and that makes it a little bit more manageable. Um, all right, so now here we go. Today we, we talked about Vince Velasquez the, the past few weeks about how good he looked, how he added a changeup or has a better command of his changeup, added a cutter, he's a more complete pitcher, and he goes out and he has a pretty good first inning, two strikeouts, 17 pitches. He made an error uh, getting over to first base, but he, he picked off the runner, you know, no harm. One, two, three inning. He staked to a 4 nothing lead. And mind you, last August 23rd down in Miami, the Phillies had a 7 nothing lead. And Vince Velasquez gave that lead up by the third inning uh, in an eventual – 19 to 11 blowout loss it was I remember that. probably the worst loss of the 2019 season one that had plenty of potential candidates for that award that being said Velasquez has a four nothing lead this afternoon and it lasts for all of one out in the second inning he gives up a pair of home runs and he ends up coming back out for the third he gets through it but his final line three innings pitched he uh, yielded four runs, uh, 60 pitches, four strikeouts. It was the same old song with Vince Velasquez. You know, he, he showed you some good things. He made some mistakes. He didn't hang around long enough. I guess I'm going to ask the obvious question here, which is number one, and just answer this, and then I'm going to follow up with the second question. Number one. Were you surprised today that Vince Velasquez turned in the performance that he did? And be honest, were you surprised? No. <laughs> no. Expect is this what you expected? Let me let me lead you that way then. Uh, well, no. I mean, I, let me say it this way then, Bob. I, I I won't make it just a simple yes or no answer. Um, uh, you know, I when you hear what everybody was saying and, you know, the manager was saying and what the pitching coach was saying and kind of the vibe, you know, like, Hey, maybe Vince kind of turned the corner and then he actually had that nice exhibition game against the Yankees. And you say, yeah, all right, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe he is, has found something here. Maybe he'll be more than a five inning pitcher. Maybe he'll limit the other team to, you know, less than three runs. Maybe he'll, you know, he won't burn himself out on fastballs you know, because he throws, what, I think the fourth or fifth highest rate of fastballs in the game. I guess that's kind of where I was. It's kind of like, okay, maybe he'll be better than that. Yeah. But to, to, am I surprised that he was the same old Vince Velasquez? Not, a, not in the least. Yeah, I, you know, Joe Girardi said sometimes when guys make their first start of the season or first start post-All-Star break, he worries about them having a little extra rest, being a little extra juiced up. It just seemed like it was a concentration thing when, when I was looking at him today. It, it was like, can you imagine you're, you're a pro athlete, you know you have some talent, you finally seem to be putting it all together, everyone's starting to talk about, wow, this guy's turned the corner, and it was almost like he went out there today, and I think in the back of his mind, he started thinking about all of it. You know, like, I got to be good today, I got to be perfect, I have to make the right pitch, I have to show my changeup, I got to throw this cutter, I need to prove it today. And some athletes thrive off of that. 
like that self-imposed pressure. It makes them better. It makes them dial in. For Vince Velasquez, it seems like he's always got something going on that it, it just totally breaks his focus, breaks his concentration, and then you get what you saw this afternoon. And so I was disappointed in that. I didn't think that Vince Velasquez was going to go out and pitch into the seventh or eighth inning today, but I did think that he was going to give them six innings. I did expect to see some of what we had seen in camp, what we had seen in that exhibition game against the Yankees last Saturday. And I don't want to say I was stunned by what I saw, but I was certainly disappointed because you listen to some smart people and, and they tell you what they see and it sort of aligns with what I saw. And I, I don't want to say I was surprised, but I, I had expected a little bit more out of him today. I truly did. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you where, where he lost me and it was in postgame. That you guys are interviewing him post game, and he gives this he gives the same old nonsense. Yeah, I got to learn from this. Learn. Yeah, yeah it was his learn. career start. No, it was your hundredth time you started a game in Major League Baseball. What do you? I mean, yes, I know you never stop learning. I get it, right? Oh, yeah. But in, you haven't had any sustained success. Yeah. So like, how long of a of a process is the learning process for you until you start getting some kind of sustained success, and then you you know, you learn how to fine tune to keep that success rolling until you have that. If there is no, you gotta, you gotta, you're either you're you, this is, you know, you put it in your, in your post the other day when you did the, you threw the little uh, Denny green clip in, you know, they are who we thought they are. I mean, you are, we, you are what we think you are. I mean, that's it. I mean, look, Girardi came out and said he's pitching against the blue Jays. I, I'm a little surprised by that. But okay, because I think, you know, Spencer Howard threw in um, uh, inter-squad game today. So he's on the same pitch schedule as Velazquez. Like, to me, that was a – there's a perfect opportunity to, you know, get Spencer Howard into the, into the rotation and see what you have. Well – couldn't be worse than this. No, it could not be. Uh, I believe that Friday night will be the last dance for Vince Velasquez in the starting rotation unless he truly impresses. I mean, Toronto has a nice lineup. That is a legitimate test. I'm not talking about five innings, three runs, seven strikeouts. I'm talking about pitching beyond the fifth into the sixth or seventh and not just doing it on the strength of a fastball. I mean, really showing that you've evolved as a pitcher. And if he can't do that, I do believe that this will be his last start. Uh, and, that, and that may not be a bad thing for Vince Velasquez, And it Bob. may not be. And it may not be a bad thing for the Phillies' bullpen. Because yeah, I they, do think that there's enough there that, that he can thrive in that role. I, I've come around on that idea. I, you know, I've, I've said forever that if you can't consistently command your fastball, that – you probably won't be an effective reliever, but I do think that there's enough there now with Velasquez in terms of the changeup maturing a little bit, in terms of at least being able to, even if he doesn't have full command of a cutter, at least being able to implement that at times. He doesn't need to be a four-pitch pitcher, but the fact that there's at least like a thought in the hitter's mind that, okay, it may not just be fastball curveball here. You know, that to me might, might give him a shot to be successful in the bullpen. That being said, I do think they want to see it one more time because I, I still believe what I said the other day, which is that 
Zach Eflin, I don't think, is, is written in stone into this rotation for 12 starts this season. There's plenty of question marks with Zach Eflin. Uh, yeah, I think that they've run into a, they've run into a, a situation. I mean, with Suarez getting um, Suarez getting COVID when he did is a dis, is a tough thing for the Phillies because I think that they actually liked him a lot in March, and I think that they would have liked to try and get him into a, into the rotation. And I don't think even if he comes back, even if you get him throwing again, and you know he's healthy again. I don't think you get him stretched out quickly enough to really make an impact. He's got to be another bullpen piece this year. Yeah. So. Well, so I'm looking at this now. And so he's in line, Velasquez is, to make the start on Friday night, which is July 31st. And if that start does not go well, I believe that the Phillies are off on August 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. So the second, third, fourth, fifth. So August 5th would be his next turn in the rotation, August 5th or August 6th. That could be when you see Spencer Howard for the first time uh, make a start as a Philadelphia Philly. So if I were setting a betting line right now, that would be it, over under August 6th. Um, and, and I do think that this will be Vince Velasquez's last opportunity. I, I like Vince Velasquez like as a, as a human being. I, I I guess I'm rooting for him. I know that everybody, I guess, was expecting me to come on here and just rip this guy to shreds. I mean, he was awful today. And, and it was just disappointing to see that he, he did not evolve the way that he was expected to evolve. It's disappointing to see, like you said, kind of the same stuff in the press conferences. Like, I lost command of my fastball. I lost command of my secondary stuff. Like, why? It was the second inning. Like, it, it's not like you lost command of your, your stuff in the sixth. You were, you were 40 pitches in your start. What do you mean you lost command of it? So – that's where I, I get frustrated with him. I don't know. I really don't. I, I just don't even know what to expect anymore. Nothing would surprise me on Friday night. I wouldn't be surprised knowing Vince Velasquez that he gives you, no, I don't know, six innings, two runs on Friday and makes you say, oh, okay. And then he comes back in that third start and blows up. Like I, I guess my faith in the idea, though, that he, is, he has turned the corner and he's going to put it together this season, it took a pretty significant hit today. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah. I think, it, I think, you're, I think you're spot on with him. And the, uh, pace, and the pace. Like, yeah. the one thing we don't talk about, the first inning even, after he makes the error and he has to go to the stretch. Like, oh, my God. And I know, granted, he threw over there a couple times. He ended up picking off the runner. Like, that's great. It's, he's a great athlete and all that stuff. But, like, get the ball. Keep your fielders in the game. Show some confidence going to the plate. Like, his body language, the, the pace at which he works, it just reeks of I'm in my own head. I, I'm, I'm unconfident in what I'm doing. I don't know where the ball's going. And more than anything, it reeks of, oh, shit, here we go again. That's what I see when I watch him pitch, and that's what I saw today. Yep. And I think that ultimately this, the, 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 all the warts that we're seeing with this Phillies team in three days, and we're going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to predict over the course of the next four, <laughs> okay. What do you think is going to happen this week? I'll, I'll let you I think, the point I, I think they lose. I think they lose three out of four. All right. So then the Phillies are what two and five after their first seven games. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think so. I mean, look. Outside of Garrett Cole, I'm not. I'm not in love with the Yankees pitching staff. But after what I saw from the Phillies pitching staff this weekend, 
like the bullpen. I mean, their starter, these starters are going to have to give them seven innings. Otherwise, it's cross your fingers and, and just freaking hope, man, because remember, the bullpen's so bad. You remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about, like, how do you evaluate a team in a pandemic? Like, these guys are obviously super uncomfortable. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're risking their health. How do you evaluate a front office in a pandemic? Like, you know, you can't account for four guys getting sick at once. But I will tell you this, as we've now gotten into it and we're watching baseball again, and, and it's not a hypothetical anymore, you have to react to these games and you have to call it for what it is. The job that Matt Klentak has done since he's become this team's general manager is questionable at best. And you watch how this thing is now playing out this season and I just at what point do you say you did not address the back end of this rotation you did not address this bullpen if if things continue to play out like again three games three games I know but there's not a whole lot that you should feel good about after these three games so like let's just say that these can, problems continue to persist because there's really no reason to believe that they they won't what do you do? At what point do you say, hey, Matt, listen, man, no. Like, we, we can't do this anymore. Like, you have not done a good enough job. Because what we saw this weekend I thought was a manifestation of, again, disregard for glaring weaknesses. Um, yeah, uh, I would have – I will tell you that it's past the time. Yeah, I mean it, – It's I, past the time. I agree. I, you know, if we're going to be honest about it, it's past the time. At what point do we say that now? I think he has. I think he has a month. If this team is not like is struggling at the trade deadline, I think that's it. Like, like, like nobody in this organization said, like, "Hey, this bullpen needs to be better," or like nobody in this organization said, "Hey, we we should probably address the back end of this rotation," like. You know what? If we have a, an opening day roster, Cole Irvin should be on it. And like, I don't want to pick on Cole Irvin, but Cole Irvin can't miss bat. There's no, there's no positive attribute that is even remotely above average to – I mean, not even above average. There's nothing above average whatsoever about Cole Irvin. There's no reason for him to be on this team. No. There's none. Is it an ERA, a major league ERA of over six in 43 innings? Do you see anything out of Cole Irvin that makes you say, hey, listen, it's just going to take a little bit of time. He's going to find it. Because I don't see it at all. No. So what is he doing here? Austin Davis pitched pretty well this weekend, right? What have we seen from Austin Davis that makes us say, this is a guy that should be on our opening day roster in 2020, a team that if we're if – we're being honest is, is supposed to compete, right? Like, what are we doing? I just, I just don't understand it within that front office. Did, did he say, Hey, I would like to address this issue. And someone said, well, we don't want to spend the money there. We're not going to allocate our funds to this. And he said, Oh, okay, well, I guess we'll just do what we're doing. Or did everyone just kind of like congratulate each other and say like, we think that we've built up a, a potentially very intriguing bullpen. Like what, like what the, that conversation, if somebody said that, if somebody actually said that in this organization, they need to be put out the pasture because That's there's nothing confident about it. Like, I can even buy like bullpen volatility and like Ramon Rosso. Like, I think, again, I, I've said this, it was yeah. a tough spot for that kid. 
I, there is some upside there. I like his arm. I think that he could become a pretty good major league reliever. We talk about Adam Morgan and, you know, Alvarez and, and these guys that, that ha- are, are decent options out of the bullpen. But there are still so many guys that they, they could potentially trot out there that you go like, we couldn't do any better than this. There's just no creativity out of this front office. I, I've been saying this for three years now. They have no creativity. They couldn't find a way to trade Cesar Hernandez when he was – he was a, a surplus. They didn't need him. There was no reason for Cesar Hernandez to take, you know, Scott Kingery's job at second base. They, they didn't need to do that. He wasn't an integral part of that team. There was a market for him. They could have gotten something. Like, I know that. Do I know the name? No. But was there some trade interest for Cesar Hernandez two and a half years ago? Yeah, I'm going to say there was. There's just no creativity whatsoever. It's, oh, oh, Bryce Harper, shiny object. I want him. Let's go buy him. Great. Cool. They got it done. I'm sure it took a lot of hotel meetings and, you know, John Middleton saying, meet my wife and Matt Klintak making calls. Like, that's great. Great. Cool. Good job. Zach Wheeler. Hey, Zach Wheeler. He's a pretty good free agent pitcher. Let's give him a shit ton of money. Oh, and he signed. Like, that's not creative. Like, that's not the, the hallmark of a good GM. A hallmark of a good GM is, taking a team that was a dumpster fire for three years that was literally holding open tryouts and finding some value players, finding the Jason Wirths, finding the Shane Victorinos, finding guys that could meaningfully you know, contribute to a winning team. And they, they had three years of that shit, and they didn't find any of those guys. It, it, I just don't understand. I don't understand when you make the decision to part ways with Gabe Kapler, which, fine, I understand it, on board with it. I am now. But how do you say, man, the architect of this, this team that went two games under 500 with such great expectations in 2018 and 2019, let's come back for some more of this. Uh, and that is the one thing more than anything this weekend that I took away from this. Yeah. That, that guy, once again, has not done enough. And I he seems like a swell guy, doesn't he? Like, you feel bad coming on this show and just saying, time's up. <laughs> but this is Philadelphia. This is a high-pressure market. He has not delivered. And, hey, maybe he knows something we all don't, and, and maybe a week from now we're having a show and the Phillies split or beat up on the Yankees and they win two out of three against the Blue Jays and we're feeling really good right now. We're saying, oh, you know what, I should apologize to Matt because here we are now 10 games into the season and things actually look a lot better than they did last Sunday. That's not impossible. Maybe that happens, but I just don't know how you could feel great about Matt Klintak right now. And not only that, the Mookie Betts comments mm-hmm. about being creative and collaborative, was he wrong? No. There's a lot of deferred money there. I think that Mookie Betts, you know, was a little bit made some concessions on his end to get that deal done. But do you think that that's the way that that his take should have been messaged to this fan base? No. Like, could you be any worse at messaging? I just, it's astounding. Like, you know, that question is going to come up. You hop on the Zoom call. You know it's coming. Find a better way to say it. That's my problem. You're not wrong, Bob. You're not wrong. I have a feeling that we're, we're going to be seeing uh, a, a change on that side of things sooner rather than later, and it's probably a good thing. 
<laughs> so it took us all of three days to fire the GM. Well, I wanted him fired before the three days. So. No, and I, and I and I agree with you. Uh, but that being said, I picked you know, and, and so I'm going to call my own shit for a second. You know, on our last episode, I I picked the Phillies. I was feeling good. I was feeling fired up when we recorded on Friday. I picked this team to win the NL East. Like I'm not out on the 2020 Phillies. Like there is a decent team here that has a dangerous lineup that. I think has a starting pitching staff that, that should pitch better than it, it did this weekend. It may not happen this week, but over the 60-game sprint here, there are still some things to feel good about. I, I, I'm watching a lot of baseball this weekend. You know, we, we tend to, to get hyper-local and focus on only what's in front of us, but there are a lot of really good baseball players around this league right now that had horrendous weekends. I believe Ronald Acuna started – 0 for 11 before he doubled tonight against the Mets. You know, arguably the, the lead dog to be MVP of the National League this season. Tough start. There are plenty of very good baseball teams that struggled over this first weekend. So when you put it in a greater context, you have to understand, just because the Phillies got off to a sluggish start for three games against a crappy team at home, not the end of the world. But, man, it is hard to – it's hard right now to feel good about what we saw. It's hard to feel good and, and simply say, ah, no big deal, just three games, we'll get them this week. And, and that's, that's the problem. So, I don't know. Do you have a one last thing? Do you have any other thoughts for the greater good here? No. <laughs> no. Oh, man. Yeah, I got to tell you, it's, it was a rough, a rough opening weekend down at Citizens Bank Park, but I'm uh, hopeful – you know what? Like, listen, here's what I'm going to say. If, if you're still with us and you're, you're watching the Phillies tonight and they go out and they beat the Yankees and they're two and two, it's amazing that what one win can do, how one win can kind of just make you feel better about everything. Even if it doesn't change the realities, even if it doesn't change the shortcomings of, of what this team may have, it will make you feel so much better just to kind of draw even two and two. Hey, no, no harm, no foul. And it just it changes the outlook a little bit. And that's what I'm hoping for as they kick off this series against the Yankees. Well, anyway, I am Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. This is the latest episode of Crossed Up. We are uh, gunning for two episodes a week. That's, that is the goal. I believe that we're going to hit that goal. There is plenty to talk about. So I don't know exactly when we're going to be back yet. Probably sometime later this week. I'm pretty sure we're going to want to react to what happened against the Yankees here. Yeah. Uh, so. Definitely be back. You know, we did, we did have a suggestion on Twitter, Bob. One we of did. our listeners did suggest that we do a show after each series. Okay, after each which would which would ultimately end up being two a week. Yeah, I think they'll so kind of wrap up the series that just happened and then leave it into the next one. So that I mean, I, I, that wouldn't that wouldn't be too bad. That that would mean we would record Thursday night for Friday. Yeah, I got to tell you, the, the late night recordings get me because. You know, when when a game ends, I have a little bit more, little bit more zip. Like I have a little bit more. I, I'm I'm feeling it. Like I'm either pumped <laughs> up, I'm fired up, I'm, I'm like happy, you know, and like I'm I'm jacked up. And then like we get like we get to later in the night, and I'm like, I just watch, I just dedicated, and this is a good problem to have. Like I love being at the stadium and all, and, and doing everything, but I'm like, I just dedicated like 20 hours of my weekend to this team, and it was bad baseball, and now it's midnight on a Sunday, and I'm talking about this, and uh, you know, it's it, it's it's hard to like get yourself really amped up for it to be perfectly honest with you so yeah, yeah um, absolutely 
Yeah. So, yeah, we will be back later in the week. Uh, make sure that you're checking out all the other podcasts on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, namely Snow the Goalie with Anthony uh, and Russ Joy. Uh, when do you have a next episode of that coming up? We're recording it uh, Tuesday night uh, after the Flyers' first preseason game. Well, I guess that's what it's called. I guess a preseason, pre-playoff yes. exhibition, whatever we want to call it. But, yeah, they play the Penguins on Tuesday, so we'll record Tuesday night. All right, fantastic. So make sure that you check that out. Also, please make sure that you subscribe to our show uh, wherever you get your podcast. And uh, if you happen to be on Apple, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, we always appreciate that as well. Uh, so once again, thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you soon.